Welcome. The parish is a church community in Alpharetta, Georgia, practicing the way of Jesus for the sake of others. Talks like these are just one part of how we gather to be deeply reshaped by Jesus. So we invite you to join us any Sunday morning for a full church gathering. You can find more information or contact us by visiting our website at parishanglican.org. Good morning. My name is Sarah. I'm the family pastor here, and I just wanted to give a quick family ministry update about some things that are going on. Um, our preschoolers and our elementary students have been, during Epiphany and Lent, have been going through the Gospels and talking about the life of Jesus and going through different stories, and we've been having a lot of fun. Um, we have talked about Jesus calling his first disciples, and we've talked about him turning water into wine and calming the storm, and then we're talking about how he can calm the storm in their own life. Not just that he calmed the storm for the disciples, but that he continues to calm storms. And that's what we talked about last Sunday. And isn't that relevant for us today, this morning? Um, so I just wanted to, to share that that's what we've been talking about and we will continue to talk about through Easter. And um, I have one really exciting announcement this morning, and then that is that next Sunday we will be opening a childcare room at 9 a.m. right outside here. And so we're really excited about that, yes. Uh, I'm, I'm so glad to be able to offer that to our community. So uh, invite, these seats are going to start filling in a little more at 9 a.m., which is really exciting. So um, we are so glad you're here this morning, and I am going to turn it over now to Andy. Well, this morning I get the privilege to talk a little bit about finances. Um, for those of you who... Uh, I don't yet know my name is Andy. I have the privilege of serving on the vestry um, and serving in the role of senior warden. And uh, part of the vestry's role, a big part of it, is to engage with the temporal matters of the church and specifically um, around the financial stewardship and uh, accountability of who we are as an organization. And so uh, as Mike set up last week, we're going to do a little bit more of that today here in the service. And there's an invitation to do a deeper dive right after the service in the town hall that one of our vestry members, Ryan Fetz, will be leading, uh, and the rest of the vestry will be there as well to answer questions. But I want to frame that out a bit this morning before um, we jump in, and I'm reminded of uh, a time in my life, it was, it was this line of demarcation between feeling like a boy and feeling like a man, and, and it was somewhere around 16, 17, my dad invited me into his office and uh, I walked into his office, and he said, he said, son, come here, pull up a chair. And he and pulled up a chair next to him, and he said, uh, there's something I want to talk with you about. And I was like, okay. And, and uh, he proceeded to go through and open up the books of our family for the first time to me as a teenager. And uh, up until that point, I had... Uh, enjoyed the benefit of our family's finances without really any sort of insight into them. But it was this moment where all of a sudden, uh, rather than just be uh, a benefactor of them, I, I was invited to be uh, a decision maker and a contributor in some ways because we sat there and together we filled out the FAFSA <laughs> as we applied for college. And he said, if, if we're going to do this, we're going to do it together. And he said, 
It would actually be me robbing you of this if we just wrote the check and paid for it for you. He said, this is part of what it means to grow into being a man and to take ownership. And for me, it was of the education. But it was this time where the relationship between me and my dad shifted. And I kind of walked out of there with a little bit you know, broader shoulders. And, and uh, my younger siblings, I, I was kind of like, I, I've been led into something that you haven't been. But it was this place where um, it was a benchmark of maturity in my life. And I think in many ways, we're at that point here as a faith community here at the parish, where for eight years, the parish has been birthed and grown and, and developed, gone through a number of different iterations, been homeless, been provided for again and again, has gone through leadership changes. Um, but as we find our place, uh, hopefully on the other side of uh, a really volatile time, in a new space, uh, with a really strong leadership team and staff team, we, we felt that this would be a really appropriate time for us in the life of healthy growth and maturity as a church to, to really open the books together and to sit down at that desk and say, hey, here's, here's what the books look like for who we are. And one of the things that we want to name um, both here and when we get into the uh, town hall meeting is, is that money and church have a really complicated relationship. And if we haven't experienced it personally, it doesn't take a whole lot of imagination to see when faith and spirituality has been a manipulator for a financial wealth and gain um, in some really unscrupulous ways in the name of Jesus. And so we come to this with uh, a corporate sense of wounding around money and faith. But we also come to this in obedience to a calling uh, to a rabbi and to a savior who talked about money all the time in his ministry. Mainly because it was a great diagnostic of the heart. And this idea of, of where our treasure is, there is this alignment of our heart and our soul uh, that can't be separated. And so if we weren't to talk about this, if, if whenever those lectionary passages came up and we kind of uh, chose the the Old Testament passage, rather than to dig into it, we actually would be doing a disservice and, and being disobedient to what uh, the Lord is calling us into. And so um, we want to talk about this openly. We want to do it in a way that's, that's not weird. Um, we want to do it in a way that's honoring to the life of the ministry, this unique ministry of the parish. And one of the things we want to say is, I mean, if we look at this space, um, this is a beautiful space that's been provided um, in a hustling, bustling, vibrant downtown of Alpharetta uh, that is incredibly busy and is getting busier all the time. And one of the things that we have strong conviction about is that the parish can be a unique expression of the body of Christ into the busyness of Alpharetta. And if you were with us at the downtown meetings, one of the things that was said is that Alpharetta doesn't need another church. There are many, many churches. But can we be a haven of contemplative, slow, restful following of Jesus in a way that's healthy and honoring and a loving presence here in Alpharetta? And we think that that's what we can uniquely provide and that Alpharetta needs that. And that's also 
inherently expensive to do here and where we are. And, and so um, one of the things that we, we want to say is, is um, the budget that Ryan's going to be laying out after the service and kind of going line by line a little bit, um, we think represents wise and conservative stewardship of the gifts of this community. And that's what it is. So if, if you were to understand our financial structure, we're part of the Anglican Church. And then a diocese called C4SO, or Churches for the Sake of Others. But we don't receive any sort of financial support. Um, everything that comes into this church comes directly from the people who are here. In fact, we, we actually support, through 10% of what comes in, the diocese. So um, that's the, you know, if we were to call it revenue, it comes directly from those in this room and in second service. There's, there's no other support method other than the families in this church, and we think um, that's a beautiful expression of the body of Christ. And what it costs to make this happen is $26,500 a month. So this is our, our current monthly budget model. And uh, we'll, we'll dig in deeper to this and answer questions and talk through this line by line a little bit. But you can just take a look, and we don't need to walk through each piece of it. But this is what uh, the monthly budget of the parish looks like. And so for $26,500, that covers uh, the entirety of our pastoral staff. It covers our rent for this space, the rent for the Church Street offices where we do our offices, where we have our small groups, all of our ministry costs and expenses, pastoral care, and then the support that we give to the diocese. 100% of that comes from here, and we think that this does represent uh, incredibly wise, conservative, um, but generous investment in the life of this body and in the life of this community the life of this region, and ultimately the life of uh, the church globally. And so what 26.5 looks like actually uh, over the past year uh, is relatively, we broke even. If we take out the expenses of, of us, the one-time expenses of us moving into this space, which was roughly $30,000, cost us about $30,000 to make the transition uh, into storage during pandemic and then out of storage and into here and then to do the renovation down in the basement and to buy the supplies that we need. It was a $30,000 investment that we think was incredibly well spent and well invested. And even over the six months that we've been here, uh, we've seen incredible fruit uh, within this body and even within this, this local region. And we're thankful for the work that the facility team did uh, for all of you who made it possible, who came out and showed that support. Um, but this space is also beginning to fill up. And so you heard Sarah talk this morning, we're, we're thrilled to be able to offer childcare at the nine o'clock next week. And the reason we have to is because we're starting to see a pattern in that second service of us filling all the seats. And the church, or the, the, the city, put out the mandate that we could have 80 seats, is that what it is? 80 seats here. Um, and so as that second service begins to overflow into this service, we see the life of the community continuing to grow. And we don't count that solely by numbers, but there is indicator 
of an increasing desire and increasing growth within our community. Um, now, we also want to say this. Um, the finances of the parish, uh, we're, we're in a place of relative strength. And, and part of what we wanted to do was be able to have these conversations, as Mike mentioned last week, in a patterned and routine way, because oftentimes when we have these conversations as a church, it's because what? There's a need. There's a budget gap. And oftentimes these conversations happen like mid-November when we start looking at year end and we're like, what's going to happen? But we come as a place of, of relative strength. And, and we just want to stop as a vestry uh, and say thank you uh, to you all as a community. Um, who continue to give in our season of pandemic, season of homelessness, and in season of entry into this. Um, but also where we are, we'd be remiss if, if, if we didn't acknowledge um, Eddie and Danielle and the financial footing with which they started this church. And the, uh, the way that they began the parish, and even as they left the parish, was a gift to us to weather the storm of the pandemic. There are about 8,000 churches in North America that don't exist post-pandemic than pre-pandemic, if you look at some of the research. And often it was because the churches operate on a month-to-month -month, uh, budget expenses. And they weren't able to weather the ups and downs of the last two years. Uh, and while we've been able to, to meet our budget, this past year, there were times that we had to dip into those savings. And so the vestry also wants to say thank you to Jordan specifically, who through creative and incredibly efficient and wise uh, financial management of uh, the church's finances during these last two years brings us to the place um, where our savings account is pretty much in the same space that it was pre-pandemic. And we're in a place of strong financial footing. And so we want to say thank you. There's also the reality where there's families uh, who were with us before the pandemic who, who aren't with us. And that's just part of church life as well. Um, but there's also about a 10% giving difference from uh, where we were to where we are. And so while this isn't this, uh, this heavy-handed kind of browbeating plea for give more, give, that's not what it is. There's this invitation to, as we move into this new season and we find solid footing coming out of the pandemic, what the vestry and, and what Jordan really, as we kind of think about the organizational part of this and the spiritual part of this, um, there's kind of an invitation into think about giving and think about finances through a fourfold filter. And the first is that as we think about this as a member supported or as a family supported community, what would uh, intentional giving look like or intentional generosity? Where rather than at the end of the month, if there's anything left to scrap together, we, we direct it toward the parish. What, what would uh, an intentional budgeting of generosity toward this community look like? Um, what would consistent giving look like? Something that's not patterned into just the, the once a month piece, but into actually your spiritual practice and your spiritual disciplines of following Jesus. What would a consistent uh, pattern of generosity look like? Maybe the, the greatest filter we'd love for you to consider is what would cheerful giving look like? 
we could dim the lights and put more candles and put some pads in the key of D, and, and we could try to manipulate uh, our community into giving, but that's not what we seek to do. We've probably all experienced that. But what would it look like for this to be something uh, that overflowed and brought joy and cheerfulness to your family's budgeting of finances? Um, and at the same time, what would uh, it look like for it to be sacrificial, for it to, to mean something in the midst of your family's budget? And oftentimes, the things for which we sacrificed the most that have the greatest enduring impact on our lives. And we think that generosity within the context, the Christian context, uh, allows for uh, a cheerfulness that comes from a sacrificial nature of this. And so um, we would love for you to come to the town hall to hear more, to ask really good questions. Uh, there's no question is, is off limits, and we'll dive into any line item that you want to. Um, but we think that this is an incredibly important part of the life of our body. We wanted to name that, invite you into it, and thank you for uh, the role you've had uh, in the generosity of the parish. So thank you. We're going to continue on with our gathering, with our gospel reading. So before you sit down, if you haven't already, just stay standing. And Jim's going to come up to the front. He's going to lead us in our scripture reading, which feels very timely for this morning. And, uh, and then we'll continue on in our gathering from there. So we stand to recognize the living word of Christ speaking to us. So let's give our attention to the gospel of Luke, uh, the gospel according to Luke from chapter 6. 6, 27 through 38. But I say to you that listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, Pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies, do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap, for the measure you give will be the measure you get back. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Thank you, Jim, and you may be seated. Well, hello, friends. Um, if we haven't had a chance to meet, my name's Jordan, and uh, I'm one of our pastors here. And it was really fun to be this far into a service before I've even said a word. Uh, so thank you to all who have guided us up to this point. I do want to welcome you, especially if you're new around the parish. 
We're so glad you're here. We want to get to know you. And I also want to name, we don't always talk about money for 10 to 15 minutes, okay? (laughs) So I have been to that church, uh, and I know that that's a thing. It's important that we have this conversation as a community, and also uh, we will kind of get back to our normal liturgy beginning next week. So thank you for participating in this. The town hall after the first service was really meaningful. A lot of great questions came out of that. And it's part of our way that we get to be a community in the way of Jesus together, taking seriously that we're a family. Uh, and, and as such, we get to go through this together. So thank you for your attention as we talked about that. Um, I want to dive into these words from Jesus, and, and we'll do this in a little bit more abbreviated fashion than we typically do, mindful that you've already heard some, uh, some, some talking this morning. Um, but let's begin uh, just briefly with a word of, of continued prayer as we enter into this time. Jesus, you are the word of God. You are all that God has to say. And what you showed us with your life is that you would rather die for your enemies than kill them. And we are in this moment in our world right now that I just know many of us are holding in our hearts and in our minds this heaviness. Would you help your people live in the way of Jesus? Would the way of Jesus show up right now around the world in Ukraine? And in so many places where there is need and we pray, we pray for peace. We pray for healing. And we pray that the the way of Jesus would increasingly be manifest in our world for the healing of the nations. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, that passage this morning just feels timely in light of everything going on in our world. Oops, sorry about that. Um, And obviously, worlds could be said about everything that was in that passage this morning. But I want to just take a few minutes and look at one specific angle as a way of wrapping up this epiphany season that we've been in and beginning to project forward toward Lent, which begins next week. And, uh, And then also just kind of anchor this conversation we've been having about how we might be a community in the way of Jesus. We've spent the first I don't know, eight, nine, ten weeks of this year talking about being a community in the light, how we can live together, how we can relate to one another, how we can embrace things like healthy conflict, how we can work through our uh, inevitable differences and recognize that it's Jesus who holds us together. And whether we're talking about volunteers or family ministry or finances, uh, it's important that we be a community living toward one another with heart open. And so last week we landed, as we kind of concluded the conversation around community, we landed with this image of consumer. And, and how we might be a community of wounded healers where that which has been broken in our stories, that which is painful, is made precious by the redemptive healing of God. And how Jesus takes the fractures relationally and the fractures in our own hearts and the fractures in our world and is redemptively holding them together in such a way that brings healing and also provides honor and dignity to the story and actually leads us with a new value and authority in all that was painful. And so there are new possibilities that spring even out of pain. That's one of the things we explore at Ash Wednesday this upcoming week. 
Um, and so we want to live then as a community of wounded healers, a community with a heart open, and we also want to add to it this as we move toward Lent. We want to be a community with open hands, not only open hearts. Um, both of those postures are essential. And one of the things that Lent gets us into is topics around famine and fasting and scarcity and the wilderness and all of these kind of themes that show up in Lent. And, uh, and so it's interesting to me that Jesus guides us in the passage today into a spiritual reality that shows up in a number of aspects of our lives. And so, uh, David, if you'll put up verses 37 and 38 on the screen there, thank you. Uh, there's this theme that runs through the words here. And obviously, you know, like I said, we could, we could talk for lengths about this passage and even how we hold the complexities of caring for the vulnerable while being peacemakers, while turning the other cheek in a, in a you know, moment where global conflict is on all of our radars. I mean, these are, these are big topics. But uh, one of the things I want to draw out is that it seems that Jesus is also pointing to a spiritual reality in which the more we open up to God's way in the world, the more we are able to receive that which we are open to. Uh, there is a sense in which the more we see the world through the eyes of abundance, the bigger the world seems to become, and simultaneously, the more we live from scarcity and lack and withholding, even our best efforts to hold on to what we think we need end up feeling like they come up short. Um, and, uh, and so there is this sense that, that uh, Jesus is calling us here through these words, do not judge, do not condemn, forgive, give, be merciful. He's calling us to open ourselves to that which we often fear opening ourselves to. We feel like we're at stake and we feel like, uh, uh, you know, there may not be enough to go around. And, uh, and so there seems to be some degree in which the, the, the way that we are open to others actually ends up impacting the way we are open to God. Uh, and I don't at all mean that in any kind of like law of attraction way, if you're familiar with that. I, I simply mean that uh, there is this open-handed posture that is necessary both to receive from God and also to give to others. We, we have to have this open posture in order for either of those things to be possible. And it's like a pipe. Uh, my daughter, McKenna, and I have been playing our N64, our Nintendo 64 lately, kind of going back to the old school video games when they knew how to make video games back in the, in the old days. And we've been playing Mario, and you know, of course, Mario uh, gets onto the warp pipes, and he can go to these different lands and stuff. And there's this one warp pipe in the game we've been playing where Mario tries to go down it, and this message just comes up and says, something is blocking the pipe. <laughs> and you can't go into it, right? Uh, and I think Jesus is sort of saying here, like, like, it's possible for something to be blocking the pipe in our life, right? We can, uh, we can be uh, judgmental toward one another that actually ends up in such a way that we end up having the judgment come back on us. We can condemn one another in such a way that the world becomes animated by condemnation, and uh, when that becomes the, the well in which I pour out on others, it poisons the, my, the well inside my own heart as well. When I shut others out of my own heart's forgiveness, I end up walking myself out of the party of grace, right? And that doesn't mean that what happened was okay. That doesn't mean we should brush things under the rug. But it does mean that, that if we refuse to release the other person and the painful situation into God's care, 
then we actually cut ourselves off from new possibilities that might otherwise emerge out of that. It's like something begins to block the pipe. And so on the contrary, Jesus is getting at this idea that, hey, there is another way of being in the world. There's a way of being in the world that is animated by abundance, not by scarcity, that is animated by participation in God's way of being rather than accumulation. And, uh, and so we can be open-handed and open-hearted toward one another. If we embrace mercy, it's a way of entering into God's family culture. God, your father, your father is merciful. And so we as God's children imitate, we mimic our Father, and we end up not only giving mercy, we end up receiving mercy for ourselves. And if we think about the pipe of, of mercy and grace, uh, it's possible that we can shut ourselves out on both sides of that, right? Of course, sometimes we're familiar with how we want to receive grace, but we won't offer it to others. But I think it's equally possible for many of us that we're willing to give grace to others, but we don't want to need it for ourselves. And God invites us into this, this place, this posture of giving and receiving. So when Jesus talks about this, this, this kind of openness, it certainly relates to money, right? We've been talking about finances over the last few weeks, and this certainly is there. With the measure you give will be the measure you get back. And, uh, and, and having that open-handedness in the way we live in the world is part of what seems to be what Jesus is getting at here. Have you ever noticed the reciprocal relationship between stinginess and scarcity, right? Like the more scarce I see the world, the more stingy I feel like I need to be to you, and then the more stingy I am to you, the more scarce things get, and it starts closing in on itself, right? I have this uh, long history with anxiety, and one of the ways it shows up in my body is, uh, I didn't even realize this for a long time, but I have really severe muscle tension sometimes that happens, and what's actually happening is that when I feel like I'm under threat, my body sucks in and gets tight, and it's like I'm trying to shield myself, and I think sometimes we're going through life closing in on the world in an effort to defend ourselves. And Jesus is inviting us in this passage to go the other way with it, to open ourselves up. And so surely, yeah, finances is part of that. But, but what else? Also, Jesus gets into condemnation. He gets into forgiveness. Here's another one, time. For me, this is the gut punch, right? My relationship with time is one in which I always feel like I'm coming up short. I think as a good Enneagram 3, I am always trying to maximize every possible second of how I can life hack my way into more productivity and efficiency. And so I'll wake up in the morning and my first thought is, can I brush my teeth and my hair at the same moment to get those 30 seconds back? But then you read a quote like this one from Mark Buchanan, and it smacks me right in the face. He says, those who resent the interruption, who guard every moment, who ration every second, they always feel like they're coming up short. But for the generous, the world gets larger and larger. And it seems like there are two ways of being in the world. There is accumulation. How can I get more? Because I fear that I will not have enough. And again, this is true of money, it's true of time, it's true of forgiveness, it's true of mercy, it's true of judging, it's true of relationships. There is accumulation, I need more, I need more. And then there is participation. Something is happening in this world that is driven and animated by God's goodness and abundance. And how can I get in on that? Do you sense the different postures there? Accumulation, 
or participation. There is seeing from my own self-referenced vantage point, accumulation, I need to get. And then there is seeing from a world in which God is in the center and he is the merciful provider and me saying yes to that. I want to look at some words and perhaps they can guide us into how we can imagine these two ways of being in the world. The first is this, gluttony and feasting. Gluttony and feasting. Both of these have to do with having a lot of stuff or a lot of food or a lot of resources, right? They both have to do with having a lot. And yet, do you sense when you hear the word gluttony what happens inside of you versus when you hear the word feasting? It's like one is this sense where I have a lot, but I'm still trying to fill this gap. There's still something that feels starving in me, so I need more and more and more. Versus feasting is a way of showing up to a table of abundance and saying, wow, I'm grateful I get to be a part of this. They both have to do with getting a lot, but they're totally different in terms of their, their way of participating in the world. Or how about this one, famine and feasting? or fasting. This is the opposite, right? They both have to do with having a little, but do you sense the difference in energy behind this, right? And I'm not talking about world famine. That's a different conversation that has to do with justice issues and the way we steward God's world. I'm talking about like my time famine, right? I'm talking about the way that, you know, many of us always feel like there's just not enough to go around in one area of our life or another, and you can think about what that is for you. But when we feel like we're always coming up short, there is this sense in which lack is driving the conversation. But the other one, fasting, has to do with opening up a door to a wider world and saying, yes, I don't have much in this right now, but that is precisely the door that allows me to open up to something broader than getting this need fulfilled in the way that I want it. One last one, scarcity or flow. And what I mean by this is that scarcity is a worldview and energy, an animated approach to life in which I am constantly trying to acquire and hold on. The other flow, this generative trust that God is always giving what I need and therefore I can just be open-handed. I can receive and I can let it pass right through me. Do you see the difference in these ways of being in the world? And it seems like Jesus is inviting us, whether we're talking about judgmentalism, whether we're talking about condemnation, whether we're talking about forgiveness, whether we're talking about money or time or any number of other things, to let it flow as opposed to trying to hold on for fear that it will not be enough. When our hearts are hurt, when something is unhealthy, often it shows up in our life through this lens of scarcity. Right? Like, I'm, I'm worried that there will not be enough. And we end up actually locking out the wider world of God's goodness and abundance. I was at the gas station this week and this guy pulled up to me. It was the night after Ukraine was invaded. This guy pulled up to me and I was filling up my gas tank and he was filling up his. Never met this guy, don't know him, God bless him. <laughs> but he goes, can you believe it? It's 20 cents more than it was last night. He goes, Thank God we've got all these great leaders leading our nation right now, right? I mean, and there was just this sense of, I didn't know how to respond, but what, what made me sad was the narrowness of the worldview, right? 
because here we find ourselves in Johns Creek, Georgia, filling up our gas tank, and we might spend five bucks more than we would have otherwise, and, and the inability to see the wider world that is happening in that moment. We don't want to go shut down as people. In the way of Jesus, we get to open up and trust that the, the world is wide enough <laughs> for, for, for all of God's people, that there is enough that I don't have to fend for myself, that God has given us a good world in which we can steward it well. And therefore, rather than acquiring and holding on for dear life, I can let go and trust that I am well-loved and there will be enough for others and enough for me. And here's what I want to get us to as we come toward the table and begin to wind down, is that really beneath all of it, it's fear, right? It's fear. And whatever the relationship is you have in your life that feels like you're always coming up short or famine is driving the story or scarcity is driving the story, what seems to be going on actually is that there is a deep-seated fear and let's say money, for example, just becomes the vehicle that expresses itself in, right? I'm always stingy in my budget because I'm actually terrified that there will not be a good father looking out for me, right? Or there's this conviction that scarcity will win the day, and so time becomes the way I relate to that. I start spinning. I start moving faster. I did this yesterday, right? Like I'm preaching to myself on this, going faster and faster and faster because I don't believe that God has actually rightly governed my days and has the right kind of invitations for me to, to cooperate with him on each given day. It's the lie that we are on our own and there is not enough mercy and forgiveness and goodness and, and creativity in God's world to go around. And it's like this, the tighter we try to keep a grip on life, what actually happens is that it gets a tighter grip on us and on our hearts, and we end up shutting down. And how might we learn to live as a community with open hearts and open hands? What are the prerequisites of trusting God in the deep places of our hearts? What is the prerequisite in your heart that would make it possible for you to let go of control that you might say yes to faith. To let go of accumulation that you might still receive, but also be able to participate in this flow that is happening in the world where we can get in on all that God is doing. In John 21, we'll end with this image and I'll leave you with this. Peter is talking with Jesus and Jesus says, when you were younger, Peter, you used to fasten your own belt and go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. Follow me. And it seems to be that the invitation of Jesus is such that the more we grow in maturity, the more we are opening up to the world, both to receive and to be vulnerable and to give and to trust that life with open hearts and hands is the way in which we follow. Our posture becomes increasingly marked by the cruciform outstretched arms with trust that God will meet us there in that vulnerable position. So I'm going to invite you to close your eyes now for a moment. And uh, invite you to just become aware of where scarcity, fear, lack, withholding, 
Where is that driving your story right now? And now, as Sarah taught us earlier, with the embodied posture of your own hands, as you are able, would you just be able to open up your hands to God and release that into his care? And I really mean that. Like, you may not be ready to do that yet, and that's okay. Sit with it this week. Keep those hands closed until you're really ready. Let it be an act of embodied worship to say, I can open up my hands because with the measure I give, the measure I will be open to and, and will be given to me. And so, Jesus, we trust you. As we move into this season of Lent, where we talk about fasting, where we hold back our hallelujahs. Would you meet us there so that it would not be scarcity driving those conversations, but instead a trust that in the pain, in what feels insufficient, in what feels inadequate, you are actually opening us up to a wider world and we can participate with you there. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.